It is Thursday, March 15th. Welcome to Wealth, a podcast presented to you by Polaris Greystone Financial Group. I'm your host, John McNertney, and we're here to talk about the business of life and money. Today, we're going to talk to Jeff about trade wars, a topic of special interest to us during this interesting time, about what is good, about what is bad. Specifically, we'll go over some of the common questions. And as always, we are open to questions. This is for you, the listener. So if you have questions regarding this podcast, you can see us at our website at www.polarisgraystone.com. You can see us on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, etc. Let's get started. All right, Jeff, welcome back to the Polaris Greystone Financial Group studio. Thank you very much, John. It is, as always, a genuine pleasure to have you in. Uh, today, we are going to bring up the most topical item um, of the day, which I believe is uh, the president's tariffs that are being brought in. Um, as you know, there's going to be a white paper that's going to be published here very briefly from you um, to discuss the merits and the demerits of trade wars. So I thought, you know, why not do a podcast on that as well so we can hear you kind of talk a little bit more off the cuff um, and give us an educational experience with what your views on trade wars are. So I'll let you kind of take it from there. Jeff, um, for those of you that haven't heard from Jeffrey Powell, of course, he's our chief investment strategist. And so um, his views, of course, uh, do reflect in the portfolio management. So pretty important stuff. And Jeff... uh, what do you think? Trade wars, positive thing, negative thing, broad-based question. I'll let you kind of take it from there. Well, I think that before we answer anything, I think one of the most important things for our audience to really think about and and listen to out of all of this is that we try to be as apolitical as possible. Our jobs are not to allow our personal belief systems politically to filter into our investment decisions. So what we're going to talk about today is a very neutral stance on what goes on within trade wars. Uh, we'll be talking about the pros and cons of it. If you're a very conservative person, you might find these uh, stances to be liberal. If you're really liberal, you might find these stances to be very conservative. If you're a moderate, we're going to probably strike the uh, the mark pretty heavily on what's going on here. So uh, let's start with that in mind, in that we're not trying to make a political statement here. And obviously, you know, we keep our political beliefs to ourselves, and it really doesn't serve anybody to be political in these kind of conversations. And if I can, Jeff, I spend so much time with all of you, the investors. I just want to say, if you're thinking, yeah, right, at this moment, really, truly, if you think about our jobs, it is not constructive in the slightest for us to do what our core job is, which is to make money, um, to have um, a political bias when we go to making investment decisions. It actually does not allow us to do our job correctly. So really, I mean, it does none of us any good um, to be red or blue or anything when we do these things. So totally echo Be- that. Best to be purple. So yeah. the biggest thing that you were, you, so you were asking about the tariffs and, and the potential of the trade war. And I mean, one of the things that I would kind of throw out is that historically speaking, unless one economy is dramatically larger than another economy, that a trade war typically does not help anybody. So let's use an example. We have offices in Northern California, uh, which is pretty heavily tech driven. Um, But let's just say that the state of California was its own country. And we also have offices in Texas. And let's use that as the other example uh, here. So state of Texas uh, versus the state of California, we get into a tit for tat trade war. Or let's just say that we begin uh, by saying the state of California did not like how uh, Texas was importing oil to our state. They felt like there was some some 
underhanded or they were dumping or something along those lines. And we felt like uh, that we wanted to have some sort of way of being able to protect our own oil industry in Southern California. So we decided that we were going to place a tariff on oil coming into the state of California from Texas. Um, what do you think is going to end up happening? What do you think the, the people of Texas are going to do back? Well, first off, I think there's going to be a lot of, uh, there's going to be a lot of damaged feelings. Um, obviously, that's kind of a slap in the face and somebody says they're going to jack up the price on anything. Immediately, you think, well, how dare you? And probably retaliate, right? There, there's a very good chance of retaliation. I mean, and, and you're correct, especially if you are known as a free trade country to start uh, resetting rules uh, that you're not doing that and changing trade balances based upon increasing the cost of a particular good. Yeah, there's a really high chance of it. So in our example, the average Texan gets upset by the fact that less oil is being imported into the state of California. They probably will retaliate. So what's the easiest thing for them to do? Well, we are a huge producer of technology. So uh, obviously Austin has a, there's a technology hub there as well. So they may want to sit there and say, well, we're going to protect our technology hub uh, in Austin. So we're going to start increasing tariffs on, uh, on technology goods coming from the state of California into Texas. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden now, you've got a tit-for-a-tat situation going on, things escalate. So when we talk about trade wars, that's really what we're talking about. It starts with one blow, then it's a second blow, and then it goes, okay, well, you hit me just as hard as I hit you, now I'm going to hit you even harder, and it escalates and escalates and escalates. And really, the end of it all, nobody really gets served well here. Truly, what ends up happening under the circumstances is uh, goods get more expensive across the board for everybody. And where that really hurts is for the low-income people. So the end result of a trade war, if it were to escalate, and I'm not saying that what we're doing right now will escalate into a trade war with China or with any of our trading partners. It's far too soon to be able to sit there and make that, uh, that statement. But what you would see if a trade war did happen is more expensive goods impacting low-income people more, meaning that, that our economy would be hurt as a result of that. Uh, but also sparsity. You're not going to have as many goods on the, on the uh, stores, so to speak. You won't have as many goods on the shelves. Uh, so, so, so if I can just ask you to just pause right there, because what I'm thinking, Jeff, is, is I'm thinking about how it affects the low-income consumer. That doesn't seem like an obvious jump for me, so maybe you can kind of break that out a bit more. So I am, I'm a low-income consumer, and I live in, in Texas. Um, how is the trade war affecting me disproportionately to the to the kind of higher end consumer? I don't I don't quite see that. Well, I mean, obviously, and in this example, we used only two goods. So let's start. Uh, let's take with China for example. With if we were to see an escalation in things that were going on there, they produce so many of our consumer goods, and they produce it at a much cheaper price than what can be done here. So a if we just let's say that we continue a 25% average tariff on something. Well, that means that the average good coming in from China is going to be 25% more expensive. Or if a U.S. good is less expensive, uh, you would never put a tariff on something if we already were beating them in that war to begin with. So let's right. just say, um, I don't know, coat hangers. If you were to go out and buy coat hangers and it could be produced in Mexico for $0.05 cents and it costs $0.10 cents in the United States, well, that's twice the expense to that that low-end user that's going to be costing them money. So for coat hangers, as an example, I'm currently able to enjoy a lower price when I go to, say, a hotel uh, because they're paying less for the coat hangers. 
Um, and so that extra savings gets passed on to me. And conversely, coat hangers cost more. Now that's going to find its way into my average um, hotel bill. Is, is Correct. What you can say that about okay. teddy bears. You can tell you that about, you know, a small plastic thing that you want to buy for your child. If, mm-hmm. you, if it can be produced for a dollar in China and it's produced for $2 in the United States and the end good is, you know, it's still being charged. Let's say that we, we're still not selling the $2 version, but we were now charging it for $1.25. Mm-hmm. It's still 25% more expensive to that bottom end uh, lower income person. So the aggregate effect that's going to come down to the end consumer is the death of a thousand cuts. Literally all these different consumer goods in the example of China, it's going to be kind of eroding away at the value that I get when I go to shop for my family. Um, and it's going to happen again and again and again. Okay. Yeah, the I can whole see. Idea, the mm-hmm. whole idea of, of trade agreements. So, for example, like NAFTA, which is uh, being uh, renegotiated as we speak right now. But the whole idea behind it is if you pass on the lower educated, uh, you know, lower uh, technology grade things that be that come into our lives. We use the, the idea of coat hangers. So if you have somebody that's manufacturing coat hangers in the United States and they have somebody that's working in a plant, if you can educate them up to be able to do chip manufacturing instead of coat hanger manufacturing, A, that person's making more money, so they're going to be able to consume more, but then the coat hangers are going to get cheaper as well. So you kind of are hoping for both ends. You want to educate your population up to be doing the higher end jobs, the higher end service and manufacturing jobs while giving away the lower ones. The issue that we have right now, and, and part of my question with, with the tactics that are going on right now, is we're sitting with a 4% unemployment rate. It's not like unemployment's our issue here. It's trying to really kind of reset the stage with regard to free uh, tax, or trade practices, mm-hmm. much more so than anything else. So, okay. So, so what I think you're alluding to there, and what's interesting is, is we've just established that the trade war can be a disaster for, for the end consumer. Okay, so if I buy that, um, then kind of moving on to what I think you're going into is, is how does it then ultimately end up reflecting in the stock market? Um, and because that's, that's what we do every day, right? And so the tactics become questionable only if they actually affect us. But I guess even the bigger question is, is the end game to get into a trade war is a question that needs to be asked. So we know what the negative effects are. But I think you alluded to maybe this is just maybe a positioning strategy, right? Well, I think you're, what you're asking is kind of two different questions. Yeah. I think one of them is uh, what's the impact of the stock market, uh, and then this next question is kind of why are we doing Correct. this? Correct, and probably why are we doing this? Maybe first, first. Important. Well, why don't we why don't we start off with the impact of the stock market in the context that you know if we do go into a trade war, what would be the impact, and then why why would we even consider this when we if you look at history over and over and over again, most trade wars end up badly. So for us right now, with how we're managing money, it's far too early into the game to get too squeamish about what's going on with us. We do not know if it's going to be a, an end result that's good or bad or indifferent. Uh, it's just far too early into the game to understand that. If we were to get into a full-fledged uh, trade war, what we'd really want to be looking at with regard to that is to move our investments into much more domestic-driven uh, items. So, uh, just like we've been saying before, uh, part of what's been driving earnings in our uh, in our portfolios in particular. I mean, we had a 15% year-over-year growth in the S&P 500 in earnings. But if you looked at the companies that uh, actually sold more abroad, they were actually faster growing than ones that were domestic. If we got into a big trade war, 
those would be exactly the companies that we wouldn't want to be holding. The ones that would be most susceptible to a tariff from a foreign com a country on us. Mm. So we want to be looking at it almost in a polar opposite. It's too soon to be reacting to this. It's too soon to be making an action. But one of the things that I really pride myself on and my team is that we're constantly looking at what ifs. If we were to get into a trade war, what would we want to do? If China comes back and retaliates, what do we want to be doing? So it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of having a plan of action for more than just what's going on in the current market. We want to be looking at what's going on uh, on the flip side of it. You know what? This puts me in mind of some, some clients I meet with, they absolutely hate this if they're not a sports nut. Um, but it's like having a playbook, right? Yeah, I mean, you absolutely. know that the situation on the field, it's constantly in flux. So why would you not have some scripted plays for... You know, if this kind of offense is run against you, you need to scramble and create a defense, but you've, you've scripted it out, right? So this is basically what your team is doing. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, if, if, you're, if we're going to go with that analogy, I mean, you probably would run a different play if it was 4th and 1 versus 4th and 20 mm -hmm. with a game on the line. Right. So, I mean, obviously, we want to be looking at it in the same kind of context. We want to be looking at the what-ups of what happened within the markets. We want to be out thinking uh, so that we're not reacting. We're, we're implementing based mm -hmm. upon what's going on in front of us. Okay. Let's now jump over to the why. Uh, why would we even consider this? Because, I mean, I think that's really kind of a very interesting uh, dynamic to get into, which you brought up, which is if we know history, and again, Google it. Do trade wars work? Look at all the history that's there that, that would uh, tell you that, you know, Smoot Howley, uh, helped put us further into the Great Depression than we already were in 1930 when it was enacted. It did not do us any good. If you look at any of the other major tariffs that have been attempted in this country over the last hundred years, they have not worked out. So why so, would we be doing it now? So Smoot-Howley, just for the listener, if I'm, on, I'm familiar with it, this was what? During the Depression, there was a similar protectionist measure that was advanced um, and accepted? Yeah, it was 1930, and it was actually much greater than anything that we're talking about today. It was, it was a very uh, protectionist uh, stance that the United States took uh, when the beginning of the Great Depression began. The thought process was, well, we have to protect our goods, so we're going to put more expense to goods coming into the United States to protect these industries because we already have a huge unemployment. And it just forced us even further into uh, the depression that we were in at the time. Interesting. So, and taking that one, I don't see that, that this is what's going on right now. The, the big thing that I look at within this is, I've thought about it a lot. Why, if you know this history, would you go back and repeat history? Uh, our president, uh, we all want to see our economy succeed. I don't think that he would be wanting to put us in a position of weakness out of this. So why would you, knowing that almost every example that you could find, this doesn't work? And to me, what I look at is this is a, a tactic. This is something that he is doing in order to bring China to the table, to bring the EU to the table, to bring, uh, we're renegotiating NAFTA right now. So to sit there and say, okay, well, if you don't renegotiate these three items in NAFTA that we have strong feelings about, that we feel are unfair trade practices, then we are gonna add you to the list of the 25% taxes on steel. Uh, and oh, by the way, China is not high on the list of that, although they do send other goods to Canada and Mexico. Mexico and, and Canada would be much more impacted than China ever would be from the tariffs that we're discussing right now on the current goods that we've thrown out there. So mm -hmm. I look at this as a warning shot. 
for the rest of the world to understand that we will be heavy handed if necessary, because you have had an unfair advantage over this country for a very long time. And I'm going to call you out on it. And we're going to renegotiate what's going on here. And if you're not going to willing to do it, then we will have a trade war and this will hurt you and it will hurt us, mm -hmm. but it will hopefully hurt you more than us. There is no winner in a trade war. It's there's simply not. What it really comes down to is who gets hurt worse in the circumstances. Mm -hmm. But what you're really saying, to go back to the to the larger point, is is this is an excellent example of one of the things that that Donald Trump promised to do, right? During the electoral campaign, he was mentioning we are going to we're going to get a fairer deal because I'm a better negotiator. And so, if I'm understanding you, it's a great negotiating strategy. You want to come to the table ready to use the the stick, um, but. You're not necessarily going to end up using it, but you need to show that you can and you're inclined to. You know, it, it, it's, I don't know if I would necessarily say great negotiating tactics. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. What I'm saying is it is one of many tactics that can be used. Mm -hmm. You got to respect the fact that he is following up with campaign promises. I exactly. mean, how many presidents have we had that you actually have had, heard them make all the promises in the world and there's no follow up afterwards? agree with it or disagree with it, he's at least following up on what he said that he's doing. Um, this is definitely a strong-handed mechanism. Uh, the hope out of it is that it is just showing off the stick and that it doesn't become a, a tit-for-tat fight that we're dealing with that would actually, again, lead to sparsity of goods in the United States. So you'd have less selection. And of the selection that you have, goods would get more expensive. So that adds to inflation, it adds to lower economy, it adds to a number of things. So truly the hope out of this is that this is not a blind tactic where we're gonna throw tariffs on everything that's coming into the United States, but truly used as a mechanism to bring somebody to the table to renegotiate things that are not fair. I mean, you look at uh, how many times that we brought China to the World Trade Organization to sue them over intellectual property issues. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, the Chinese are notorious for stealing goods, replicating goods, and so on. So to sit there and bring them to the, to the table and try to make them uh, to play fairly is really what this seems to be all about. And if mm -hmm. it's handled and handled well, this could be a phenomenal thing for our economy. Yeah. If it's so, we're kind of on the razor's edge here. This could go one direction or another. This could be the greatest thing in the world, or we renegotiate with the European Union. We renegotiate with China, and things go well. Or it could be something that could really backfire. So you bring the big stick, but you have no intention on using it, and people call you out on it, and you don't use it, then you you look much weaker in that situation than otherwise so that's really the risk that comes in by being heavy-handed mm -hmm. uh, in a negotiation is you have to be willing to follow it up so that's when you said it looks like a great negotiation technique and i said well yes maybe you got to be willing to follow it up yeah i mean the trouble comes when people call you on your bluff right i'm always joking that i'm a dad if you're if you tell your children that you're gonna uh, what you know stick them in the corner um that's kind of an easy punishment. A lot of them can take that, but you really do have to be prepared to send everybody in the house to the corner um, if they call your bluff. And I've been in that situation. It's not a fun one, but it, it, it's it's a great potential in this, isn't it? Is yeah. we end up being forced to put everybody in the corner um, and not give them ice cream before they go to bed. It's You're reminding me of a story of a, a couple that I knew that were down in Disneyland and they were there with their kids and one of the kids was acting up and you know basically the dad's like you know if you don't behave better we're leaving and 
Uh, if, or if, I can't remember the exact example, but if you do this yeah. one more time, then we are leaving. Yeah. Well, the child did it one more time, and then he had to leave <laughs> the park with the child in order to set the example that he was serious about it. And then you know the wife's upset, the other child's upset, sure. and everything. Nobody's happy with it. Well, it's kind of the same thing here. I mean, nobody's yeah. gonna be happy leaving the park. Uh, I'm not happy. Do you know how much it's, it costs to go to Disneyland now? <laughs> but you do have to follow up. If you don't follow up, then yeah. you do look weak in the situation, which means that the next time you say, don't do that or else, then they're just going to ignore you like anything else. Well, so there yeah. is a, a reason behind this. I think that the media is not necessarily giving enough credit to, which is to hold our trade partners accountable for their actions. And if they don't, we're leaving the park. Well, I sure do wish that we could talk about this all day. We definitely could. Um, I think that we probably um, need to uh, to probably call it a, an end. Absolutely. But a um, lot more to talk about. Obviously, there's turnover at the White House. There are midterm elections to be dealt with. And that's just on the political side of things, which isn't really even where we spend most of our time. Uh, but maybe we can get into a little bit of that next week. And you're writing an article coming up, right? Correct. It should be out probably next week on on. Uh, talking about trade wars and going into a little bit more of the history and a little bit more of the details that we've been talking about. All right. Um, I look forward to it. Uh, Jeff, thanks for coming in as always. My pleasure. If you're listening, have a great weekend. And of course, as always, if you have more questions, you can email your wealth advisor. You can contact uh, your point of contact within the firm. Um, And as always, we appreciate you. Have a great week. Blair's Greystone Financial Group, LLC, is a federally registered investment advisor. This recording is solely for informational purposes and is not as intended as individual or specific advice. It should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. Blair's Greystone does not offer legal or tax advice. All information contained herein is believed to be accurate, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Blair's Greystone Financial Group, LLC, and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. Investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. No advice may be rendered by Polaris Grace from Financial Group, LLC, unless a client service agreement is in place.